If you want to make your favorite technicals, give Gizmo Gang a call. Gizmo Sapiens. Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens 226. It's May, and so this one's entitled May Flowers. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, there's been a lot going on. We had talked about last time that we were moving back to that whole, um, you know, once a month type thing, but a little bit longer podcast, particularly as we move through the summer. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it's from a, a technology standpoint, we haven't hit the, there, there's a lot of talk about chat G, GTP, which I'm not going to talk about because a lot of the hubbub about AI and, and everything that's going on is, is exactly that, it's hubbub. You know, uh, <coughs> will, will AI and automation take over some jobs? Yeah, but it's jobs that probably needed to be automated. Uh, you gotta look at also how business has to do things and automation is cheaper than $15 an hour you know what I'm looking forward to with AI, uh, and you, you you mentioned this just a moment ago, uh, jobs that need to be, the human element needs to be removed, and that's journalism. Oh, yeah. Uh, AI could, could do journalism. Well, you know, AI could do a couple things. Probably better than, 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 than the product we're getting right now. Yeah, to be very true. Perfectly honest. One of the other things that uh, AI could take care of as well is um, call centers, you know, where it's automated calling. I mean, a lot of AI is already doing that, but it, it could, AI will make it better so that like text prompts can actually be responded to in context and things like that. Or like somebody wants to do a survey instead of employing people to make the call, you can now have AI handle it and depending upon the the, the context of the response, they can then ask either the next question or, or end the survey. But you know, the problem with all of that is, is that once people figure out that they're talking to a robot, they don't like it. They just don't like it. They don't like talking to people, so... I, uh, agreed, but they really don't like talking to robots. And eventually, they, you know, for like political, like you live in a neighborhood and, and people, the Jehovah's Witnesses can come around with an AI robot and instead of people... Being there to, <laughs> you know, the robot can knock on your door and <laughs> hand and you a pamphlet. And, and the watchtower? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you sign my petition? But, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the big tech conferences have been kind of quiet this year. I, I'm hopeful that we'll hear some exciting things well, early next week from or not next week, next month in, at Apple's Developers Conference. But isn't it kind of like AI has taken all the oxygen out of the room right now? I think from a, you know, a reporting context, yes, everybody, because it, it's, it can be played off, you know, it, it's doing, media is doing what media has been <laughs> it's doing. Always done. Which is, let's, <laughs> let's, Cry, gin up a controversy for ratings. Exactly, the sky is falling. AI is here. 
chat GPT is coming for your job, you know. But when has automation not taken jobs, but then built new jobs? Um, you know, and, and I will say this, Americans have been terrible, and, and this is not the American dream concept, but Americans have been terrible at adapting to the changing workplace. Where, But that's because we've allowed unions to dictate our our employment policies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You know, unskilled jobs or part, partly skilled jobs that are controlled by unions, they don't want that to change because union dues are a big motivator. Well, for the union. <laughs> they're not a big motivator. That that's their revenue stream. Well, that's you know. And uh my diplomatic speech for call it what it is man you know <laughs> well I mean it really is pay to play it is pay to play and uh, but you're right you know part of the you know the, the issue with manufacturing in the United States was that we went from a largely unskilled workforce who, who slapped crap together um, where prior to the 70s they actually put it together and were a bit thoughtful about how they did it so that it would last for a long time. And then the 70s hit and they had to compete with Japan and then it became, let's just slap it all together and hopefully it'll last for 15 minutes and nobody will notice. Um, well, it was like disposable, what, what do they call that? Disposable, not disposable tech, but it's... It was, I mean... But that's what it was. Uh, look, look at like uh, the Chevette made by General Motors, which, you know, that, that was introduced to compete with Japanese cars in the in the 70s and you know through the early 80s and that's exactly what they were I mean that was their marketing pitch was yeah. you know hey here's a starter car and it's disposable and and everything and you know and to a large degree they were because they were so poorly made that they haven't survived uh, there it's kind of funny so somebody who worked there's somebody who has a little bit of a sense of humor an irony uh, who works at the Burger King in, in the town where I live. And I'm assuming that they, they're probably a manager or something because there is a Chevette, a perfect four-door baby blue Chevette, which was kind of like the default color. I only ever remember seeing Chevettes in like two colors, and that baby blue and then red. I do kind of remember black, but... But I... And the red one... Uh, my girlfriend, one of my girlfriends in high school, her brother drove a red Chevette, and it was always broken. <laughs> and he was not mechanical. Mm -hmm. And then my wife, prior to us getting married, she drove a Chevette when she was going to college. And uh, but it was a baby blue, and her mom and dad had bought a brand new four-door Chevette um, when she was in high school, and drove that for years. Uh, and my father-in-law at the time was always working on it, you know. And I mean, not working on just like, oh, you know, the carburetor's out of whack or the fuel, you know, I need to change the oil or, no, it was like, yeah, the gears in the transmission that, you know, have disintegrated and so I need to buy a new gear and pull the whole transmission apart and put it in because it might, you know, the spacer gear that's missing might make it go into reverse while you're at speed, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> 
Sounds like a major problem to me. Yeah. Now, I will say this. They were very easy to work on because there, they, there were no frills in these cars. You know, it was, it was almost like, yeah, they were built in the late 70s and, and early 80s, but they were, uh, it was almost like working on a car from the, the 50s and 60s, you know, before we had emissions controls <laughs> and, and air conditioning and all this stuff that fills up the engine compartment. But that being but at said, least he could work on the yeah, car, right? He, nowadays, but really could. But that being said, that was from a period of time when a lot of the automotive work uh, was unskilled. And, you know, from about 1980 on, that's when they started. There were certain jobs, and this is the unions got upset about this, but there were certain jobs that they quit doing with people because robots did them better. And it started with, like, the welding robots that would weld the, the bodies together and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, it also, they did jobs that were that people where people could potentially get injured severely. Welding was one of those, you know? And, uh, but as that decline happened, and you also had China kind of changing their, their, the way they were gonna approach communism, you know, where they're half capitalist, half communist, all socialist. you know, to where, where they, and then they were offering that, hey, you know, this widget that you're producing in the United States because you're paying union, you, you know, the, the union wage, uh, that you're paying 40 cents to produce in the United States, we can do for a penny, and then you're going to pay two more pennies to ship it back to, you know, your country. We shifted a lot of that work to Japan, or to Japan, to China, and with that, we, we instead of our, our workers transitioning into other industrial skills, but ones that required uh, potentially two-year degrees or, or you know, more technical training, um, it just never happened. The, uh, you know, and we also had the cultural thing that was left over from World War II, which it made sense at the end of World War II. But, you know, that American dream of everybody going to college. So we, we lost a workforce that actually could build stuff in place of people with, with the large degrees. And, and, and don't get me wrong, if you have a liberal arts degree, you're probably a really good manager at McDonald's right now. You know, the, the sad part is nobody listens to our podcast, so I can make insults like that, and there will be no repercussions. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but yeah, I think you understand what I'm saying. No, I, I do. I do. Uh, but there's there's kind of a, um, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there, because, you know, at, at one hand, we're saying that... Um, People didn't go and get two-year degrees and, you know, become a workforce that, like, knows stuff. But on the other hand, we're saying, well, they came back from World War II and everybody wanted to go to college. Well, I mean... The problem is not that we have in our culture that, that you should be educated. That's actually fantastic. The problem is, is that 
the higher education uh, industrial complex has uh, figured out that they can get money for a useless degree. Yes. But it's not I, worth but on, the paper's printed on. that, too, the, the whole – this was more of a societal thing. I, don't get me wrong. I, I don't disagree with you on that. I think that was a result of – of society going that hey we want our kids to have better opportunities and and the American dream is you know you go to college and you you get but that's not what the American dream is it, it isn't but that's what the perception of the American dream and perception is the, is nine tenths of the law uh, I, I, I won't disagree with you but I, I I can't let this one go the American dream is about having the the succeeding generation do better than the current generation. And how you do that under the American dream is you seize opportunity and you work for it. Correct. How are you going to work when your education is a Bachelor of Science in underwater basket weaving? I agree. But, but that's the thing. Society... We twisted what the dream was over time. At World War II, when people were coming back and they had the GI Bill and they had, you know, and, and so there was now there was this opportunity. Um, but we're just as responsible for that by not correcting it when we see it. Correct. This but, is this is like. But you know, America is not a democracy. We're a representative republic, and when we don't correct people when they say stuff like that, that's when they think. Oh, well, it's mob rule because we're yeah, a democracy. democracy. Well, that's not that's what we are. But, but what happened from a, a societal standpoint is, is it got twisted. It got twisted to the point where you should, everybody should go to college. And, and, and one, not everybody should go to college. There, people learn in different ways, and, and they also work in different ways, and there are people who – are happiest when they have a job where you go to the job and you do your work and you come home and home is home and job and work is work. And then there are people who, um, you know, are happy to have a work-life balance where their work and life are the same. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Matt and I are both raising our hands. Um, but <clears throat> the. The, the issue became is now we have colleges who are becoming degree factories. Society is, has turned and said that skilled trades and technical education are not the place for you to go. And so where are we today? We have a lack of skilled trades. People are not becoming plumbers and electricians. And, uh, and, and you know, there are a lot of new skilled trades like uh, industrial engineers. And that's always, that, you know, when, when we talk about bringing back manufacturing in the United States, manufacturing isn't putting a combustion engine together or, slap, you know, I, I keep using the word slapping, but, you know, assembling a, a, uh, the frame of a car and all of that. Cars now today have computers, well, if you buy a new car today, it can have between three and four computers in it. If you're buying an electric car, it's possible that it has a supercomputer in it, like Tesla. It's basically a rolling supercomputer. 
And the manufacturing isn't so much putting the final assembly of all the components that make a car together today, it's the assembly of all of the components to make the computers and the electronics and all of that. And that's where industrial engineers come in. Well, you know, and it is not quite this way anymore, but you know, there's the famous quote by Tim Cook from Apple, you know, when he was getting criticism for why, and you gotta understand, Tim Cook, his genius is not designing products or anything or, or telling the engineers like Steve Jobs did at Apple, you know, how, you know, th this is the experience that a user would want and, and this. He is a supply chain expert. There's almost nobody else in the world who can match him in understanding how supply chains work. Which is a huge, if you're making anything from a computer to, you know, a widget that you're gonna sell at Walmart, the supply chain is, and understanding the nuances of that is huge. But he, he came out and he had a quote, and he said, all of the industrial engineers, and these are people, they're not, you know, like electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, or architects. These are people who have the expertise that when you're on the, the assembly line, they can catch mistakes made in PCBs and other electronic components, and then they also understand the process of efficiently assembling and testing these things. And it is a, it, it does require, you can't be an unskilled worker and be an industrial engineer. Um, and these, and by the way, these are not industrial systems engineers because industrial systems engineering is a subset of mechanical engineering. Uh, it's actually a specialty of mechanical engineering. So those people are actually mechanical engineers. <laughs> um, but the industrial engineer and, and our local community college, they have an amazing program in it. These people are also the ones who understand how to program and use all of the, you know, CNC machines and and water jet machines and uh, there that that all of that fits in here. But it's all part of, of the more technical area of manufacturing, and that's where manufacturing is today. But Tim Cook said, going back to the quote, Tim Cook said, in the United States, the number of industrial engineers to, in total would only fill a, a, a single football field. Now this was years ago, probably 10 years ago when he said this. Uh, it's probably a lot better than that today. Uh, but when you go to China and India and even Brazil and the number of industrial engineers that are there uh, are you know 10x what we have in the United States. Why? Because we weren't sending kids to get technical, you know, we weren't, we were discouraged, it wasn't that we weren't sending kids, there were some who go still, but we were discouraging kids from getting a more practical technical education. Because the, the reality of it is between a four-year degree and a two-year degree is that in a four-year degree, you take a lot of bullshit classes and it's supposed to make you more rounded. Well, part of that's also that the concept is uh, if you have a, a more, diverse education where you have been exposed to all these other things, then you are more, you, you know, you're better suited to, as you move from a technical uh, job as you age, you know, into management, that that's part of that management piece that you should know. And, and don't get me wrong, um, what the, the reality of, of a degree in any field even liberal arts, is the fact that you 
you have the ability to learn. The problem is a lot of people quit learning. Um, you know, I'm not a finance major, but I'll tell you, I've learned a ton about finance and marketing because my boss, my direct boss, um, and the type of work that we do, he he is he went to Wharton School of Business and, and has a marketing and finance degree. You know, and and it is you know being being a technical slash music person who who understands math incredibly well. Some of the finance math is fascinating, you know. But there's things you don't learn in technical math that you learn in finance math. Like I didn't know how to compute the the gross margin on a deal, you know. Oh, this is the price. I thought, well, but you, if you're gonna make 25% gross margin on something, I thought, you know, you just multiplied it by 1.25. Wrong. <laughs> you divide it by 0.75. If you don't believe me, oh, that's the same thing. No, get your calculator out and take a thousand and divide it by 0.75, and then take a thousand and and multiply it by 1.25, and you'll find out those numbers are not the same. And but it, it's stuff like that that you you have to continually learn, and that's what you might initially learn the skills that you need to be a beginner in a, in a job or a career. But it's that continuous learning over time and that pivoting in your job to, you know, to move to the right spot to keep you in a job. And like I said before, there are some people who job and life are two separate things and they're happy making $15, $20 an hour because their happiness comes from when they come home and they don't have to work, you know, think about work at all. I, I'm, I'm not able to divorce myself from that. So my, part of my happiness comes from learning the new skills and I'm getting to apply them, you know. And yes, I'm coin operator. So, uh, you know, the more coins that get, get uh, pumped into me because I'm being successful, uh, the happier I am. You're not wrong. But that's where I, the perception of the American dream versus, because, you know, the real American dream uh, was you come to the United States because you have, it, it's not that you have, you will do it, but you have the opportunity to move yes. up and down the social strata and socioeconomic strata. Based upon what you how you work and do it how yeah. how you how you work and that you you uh, your opportunity for success is based upon your, your merits yes. of uh, of the the quality and quantity As of your work being, you know the the traditional way of, of, of well you know you were born into uh, a bourgeois family, so you are going to be part of the bourgeois, or you're a, a laborer on the farm. You're always going to be a laborer on the farm. You know there was no socioeconomic opportunity for socioeconomic movement, or very little. Correct. But that has been twisted over the years. But don't you think that because of uh, our uh, our divergence from the true meaning of the American dream? Have we not gone back to uh, the haves continue to have it and the have-nots continue to not have? Correct. I, I totally believe that. But the funny thing is, is 
that's not driven because the traditional American dream is still there and your ability to move up and down is still there but the societal mores that people have accepted have probably more to do with why people are they stay in their socioeconomic strata uh, today than uh, than in the past. And part of it is is <laughs> I hate to say it, well, I don't hate to say it because you know government has overstepped its bounds because and, and it's trying <laughs> to represent it doesn't represent people anymore. It represents special interest groups, and the special interest groups don't care about anything but helping their special interest groups. Which brings us back to the democracy versus representative republic thing. The the, the republic is about defending the rights of the individual against the collective. Democracy is the exact opposite of that. Yes. And and so when we uh, allow our government to be taken over by special interests, that's that's the collective by a different name. Yes. So, kind of to pigeonhole or pigeonhole to, to tail on to this. Okay. So as we moved in this discussion, we talked about you know this going on. Let's talk about the economic landscape right now. So, in the last two weeks. Um, Christmas tree stores, Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't think there's a third one. Um, no, I can't think of what it was. But they've all. Uh, they tried to. All of them tried to. Oh, Jenny Craig. Jenny yeah. Craig. All those businesses, very successful businesses, been around for. All of them have been around for more than, twenty or thirty years. Some of them over fifty. And they have. Uh, oh, Tuesday morning is also in there, so there's four. But all those types of businesses have, and, and I don't have a problem with them going away, but they've all filed Chapter 13. Uh, well, except for Jenny Craig, they filed Chapter 11 because they're reorganizing. And then you also have huge, you know, because there were all these huge pandemic hires, and, and I hate the calling it the tech industry because it's not the tech industry to me. It's the social media industry, but Google and Facebook or Meta, and and uh, and we've already seen the purge of Twitter, but that was done <laughs> that for was different reasons. <laughs> different reasons. But they're all laying off thousands of workers. Yeah. And so, but you know, we're seeing a, a not only a retail landscape uh, shrinking, and we're seeing these social media companies. I think social media is a is a uh, a bit of a fad that that needed to have a bubble burst anyway. I, oh, I did too. Well, you knew it was going to happen at some point. Um, you, you know, and and the the thing you got to remember about social media is the keyword media. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because the media landscaping has changed. You know. When the internet came around, and this is another good one to, as a demonstration of, of where 
companies didn't pivot fast enough when they should have when they saw they saw the writing on the wall because yeah. again the economic factors were there I'm not making as much money on ads because it's much cheaper for them to buy ads on the internet so why are we still printing a physical newspaper or a magazine or there are always no matter what the innovation is there will always be some legacy that wants to hang on to the to the good old days yeah. and quite frankly journalism is one of those that that really uh, is now doing us a disservice. Absolutely. Well, it's because you know CNN was. It was you know you and I were around when CNN was created. Yeah. When Ted Turner <coughs> said that you know, hey, there's enough news out there now that I think we can do a 24-hour news cycle. And actually, you know, when it it was innovative when CNN came out. But the problem is, is that uh, they were like, "Oh, this is the greatest idea ever. Let's let's stick to this model, even though the landscape has actually shifted." Yeah. Well, the the problem is, is news has stopped being about reporting the facts, and it's all about sensationalist stories, which are ninety ninety. You know, it, it's kind of like we we all complain about clickbait. But quite frankly, but almost all news, almost all televised news today yeah. is clickbait. Yeah, you, you know they get in there and 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 uh, you, the sensationalist title, and they get in there and you know it's like oh somebody had a hangnail. But that's the that's the difference between news and infotainment. Yes, and quite frankly, um, we've never really. Um, When I say that, that, that media and journalism is doing a disservice, it's because uh, we've allowed it to be commercialized to the point where it's no longer a public service. It's now about revenue and getting eyeballs and yeah. the, the, the advertising dollars. Once that became the driving factor behind journalism, opinion – became fact exactly. and that's not helpful no no you're you're right you're right but going back to what i was saying you know we have this shrinking retail landscape and why why is that well part of the shrinking retail landscape i think is a shift in the retail industry um also i think there is a societal shift going on because uh, one of the articles i read from this is actually a fairly well thought out article by CNN Business um, about retail shrink because you know one of the big things that's happening is that um, in major cities, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, um, retail is abandoning the downtown. So if you have people who live down there, they can no longer buy and shop now. Locally, we've seen that. We, you know, West Dayton was a, a food desert. Yeah. Because crime and was so bad, um, and, and that was the primary factor. And that's actually, even in this article, they they're stating that the primary factor for the closing a lot of these places is crime is so bad. You know, the loss, uh, theft loss, uh, doesn't make these stores profitable. So why are you know they can't keep them open? Um, but there are some other 
major factors too that they're talking about one they can't get people to work at these stores to the pandemic accelerated people more people working from home so while you see you see downtown areas because people aren't shopping there you know because they're at work that was the large thing people don't live in cities yeah really but they worked downtown and so because that issue with the commute and everything else they were shopping while they were in the city well when you move a lot of these jobs that don't need to sit in an office out and people are sitting at home that those people are no longer buying from the businesses that were where they worked you know they're 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 buying from the businesses and they're near their home office also the shift amazon drove this one which was the shift of uh they basically reframed at least in the united states but i'm, I'm fairly certain it's ubiquitous across the world but they retrained shopping habits from instant gratification to two-day delayed gratification and it's kind of funny because amazon's now trying to do that again because shipping has gotten to be expensive uh, and they don't have you know they're no longer a venture capitalist firm um, or a firm backed by venture capitalism so they're they're wanting to shift it to you go and pick your stuff up at like a kohl's or amazon lockers or you know uh whole foods where where because it's cheaper to ship a whole bunch of people's stuff in one place and then they come and pick it up and for to a large degree i think if that's the the permanent move they're going to make for free shipping they'll probably be successful in that because people will justify it in the fact that well i'm already going to whole foods or i'm going to kohl's or you know it's not that far um you know, because again, well, what I find interesting about that is, is that the WalMarts and the Krogers are now doing uh, delivery. Yes. Well, and that's the other thing. That so, you know, Target, Walmart, and and Kroger could not. And, and if you, our few listeners, if you don't know, Kroger is the largest grocery store uh, or grocery retail business in the world. Yeah. Uh, Kroger just happens to be the name of the company that started it all, and it's the headquarters, but uh, they own probably 60% of the world's grocery stores, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, if you shop at Albertsons in the East Coast, you're at Kroger's, or Harris Teeter in the Southeast, you're at did, Kroger's. Well, did that, did, did I keep hearing that there's problems with that deal. I think it's still closed, really? or it's still closing. I don't know. I, I haven't been paying attention to that one, but but uh, or Smiths or QLC, I think is it. And because my daughter is interning in in Seattle for the summer, and uh, so she had to go to a, a grocery to get some groceries for her apartment, and she said it was a QLC, but they took her Kroger number and everything. <laughs> Love it. Well, she's afraid that she was. Uh, she was gonna have to buy. Well, she has gone to Whole Foods, you know, because <laughs> Amazon it's is Seattle. It's Seattle, um, but she thought she was gonna have to buy all her groceries there, which you know, from a, an economic standpoint, is not. Yeah. But she did buy jam grapes, which are just it's like eating candy. Because um, she said she paid thirteen dollars for two pounds of jam grapes. Ooh. I was like, you what? <laughs> wow. 
But with that being said, Whole Foods, Kroger's, um, Target, Walmart, they couldn't compete in shipping today for free. So they're now doing the, hey, if you do our Amazon Prime type uh, club, we'll, you know, it's Kroger Boost, and I forget what Walmart's is. And I actually had both because I had a deal where I got Kroger Boost for like $70 for the first year. And, uh, and we've been doing the Walmart one because I live on a farm in out in the, I don't live in the stick stick, but I live in a rural area and Walmart and Kroger will both deliver to my farm. And there is a convenience in that, you know, if we're in the middle of doing something, we'll bring it in, hey, get on your phone and you can order stuff and they'll deliver it, you know, a lot of times same day. Yeah. Now, Walmart, uh, essentially, if I understand their program, they now are hiring the Uber and Lyft type that's, drivers. That's exactly it. So it's it's actually to the, make those deliveries. The people who make the deliveries from our Walmart to our is they sub that out to DoorDash. Yeah. But it what what's happened? Is well, I like, thought Walmart actually created their own app for that. They they have their own app. You use the Walmart app to do it. No, I mean for their drivers. Oh, I don't know if they because there's a I, I, I had a I had an Uber driver. Uh, I was going to the airport for something, and we got to talking about it. And he's like, "Yeah, I was gonna uh, I was on my way to go pick up a Walmart order through their app when when you popped up because I live close to a yeah. Walmart and." and uh, he was like, I almost clicked on it. And I was gonna go do that, but you you popped up, so I'm, I came over, came over to pick you. So they're they're running their own app for their drivers yeah. now. So, I mean, I think it's it's they've had to compete with Amazon. Yeah. Well, and to Kroger's, the point where Kroger's doesn't. It, it's weird because they have Kroger vans. I mean, like the Sprinter vans uh-huh. that in the you know they say Kroger. And I see them doing delivery, but I also, uh, I've had, Kroger will sub that business to Instacart, and it's built into, they tell you that, oh, this will be delivered by Instacart. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting, but, you know, basically these retail places, you know, there's a lot of overhead in running these businesses, and yes, they have people who come in, because frankly, if I'm going to buy produce, I want to go touch it and look at it and, and everything and not have somebody just you know, pick one for me and go, oh, this is, this meets the letter of the law. And, uh, but they basically turn their retail establishments into warehouses. So they're doing themselves a favor because delivery helps them turn over their merchandise faster. Now, the annoying part of it is, is you go into the store sometimes and like at Kroger's, they've hired all these people. Yeah. They're Kroger they're employees, shoppers. and all they are are personal shoppers. They're putting together the orders that people have ordered, and they're, they get in your way as you're shopping in the store. I don't see that too much at Walmart. I do. Um, our Walmart, I think they uh, put the, a lot of those orders because, you know, Walmart has, well, Kroger's does too, but Walmart has two tiers. Yeah. And the first tier, which most people belong to, is it's next day delivery. And I think what Walmart does, because they don't keep the stores open overnight anymore, but the employees are there. They pick all those orders that are delivered for the next day. So they, you know, they're you, when you go in the next morning, shelves are bare because they picked all these orders where 
where they're they're uh, you know used all that merchandise there. But you know it's great because you can order you know a brisket and a turkey and bread and milk, and you can also order you know GI Joe action figures and and a vacuum cleaner and a tire iron. <laughs> And I'll have it delivered and I have to go pick it up. <laughs> I, know, I guess my 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 fear with that, and, and this is why the stores are still open, is the, the perishable goods. I, I, I'm not a fan of delivery of perishable goods you know, when I'm not home. Yeah, well, you know, and, and that's the thing. You have to, if, if, you know, particularly frozen items, because um, it, it's not like they put them in a cooler bag or anything else. You're, right. They, they're just in Walmart bags or Kroger bags. Yeah. You, you have to be aware of when they're going to deliver and, you know, make sure that you're home to collect it. Which, if I'm working from home, which most of the time I, I am now, but and I know you mostly are when you're not on the road. Yes. Uh, that's not a problem. Uh, it's those 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 poor people. When I am on the road, or you're on the road, and then you know, well, if you've got your wife, yeah. uh, I, you know, if you're on your own, you, you're my dog's not going to answer the door. Yeah, <laughs> you know, very true. Not going to put the groceries away. True, but you're probably not ordering groceries when you're not at home anyway. Uh, well, I mean, if you're talking about two days, well, yeah, no, I would be aware of my schedule. Yeah. But that, that's my point, you know, if, that Amazon trained everybody really nicely to be, to, to have delayed gratification in the sense that as long as it's not too long, because uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I get into this, it really chafes me when I order something, and it's even from Amazon, and it's like, oh, this is going to be over a week to get this. Uh, and I've had several things. You come know. up with that lately and uh, <clears throat> and so I'm like maybe I'm not gonna order this I mean I will I will not order because they won't get it in two days because that's the limit of my attention span for being able <laughs> to put up with with not getting something but you know going back so from a societal standpoint we have changed the paradigm of how we shop now there are things that I despise doing online or delivery. One, I, I, like I said before, I don't like produce because I like to go pick my produce. And, you know, we live in the, the uh, grocery store capital of the world, you know, where all the, almost all the chains in the United States started from. So we also have a lot of local chains that are specialties, and they have much better produce than you can buy at Kroger's or, or particularly Walmart. I, I don't buy produce at Walmart if I can help it I mean, truth be told, wouldn't wouldn't uh, the expansion of this actually make for produce the farmers market be a better option? In many cases, yeah. I mean, I I like to go to Northland Market because they pick the way they purchase produce is like the farmers market. You know, they they're very careful and they they actually do contracts with local farms and buy you know whole crops and and stuff, but. The flip side of it is just like a farmer's market, you're only getting stuff that's in season and, you know, 
if it's there one week, it may not be there the next week, depending on how popular it is. Jam grapes are one of those festivals. Um, <clears throat> and, and I will say Whole Foods, for the most part, has good produce, but they're a lot like Dorothy Lane Market. I don't know how they do their things, but you know, if you want to go and get the same stuff consistently, it's hard to do. But with that being said, my retail, you know, I, I don't tend to go out to shop anymore unless I'm going for groceries, specific things. But the other thing I despise uh, ordering online is clothing. Yeah. And, and it's not so much that I don't know what fits me, but a lot of times you will order something, and, and it's that it's the hassle. It's not like it's it's hard to do anymore. I mean, Amazon makes it so easy. I can drop something. I mean, I have literally gotten stuff from Amazon and realized it was not as advertised or I didn't like it, and I've immediately made a return, and within an hour of getting it, I have returned it to either Kohl's or the UPS store or, or Whole Foods, depending on where I was at the time. But that whole process, I despise, you know, and, and trying to figure out what it is. And so, you know, I, 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 I still like to buy clothes where I can touch the material and feel it and, and, uh, and try it on. And if I don't like it, then I can take it back. And it's, it makes no sense because I will buy clothes from Costco and Sam's and, and other places where I can't try them on. But I don't feel that that if it doesn't fit right or whatever, I don't feel like, oh, I this is such a hassle. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no I, I get that. I, I, if for me, the the touching the material thing, because I'm like I, I will wear a shirt that doesn't actually fit me. If it doesn't irritate me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But you, you know that—that's a change in the retail industry, and I expect. It, it, I, I we've discussed this before because I have this fascination with retail. I don't know why, but you know the whole idea of when they they first, you know, her, they created things like Harrods and Neiman Marcus and all of that, uh, you know, from the department store down to what they called discount stores, which were you know Woolworths was the first one, but Kmart and Walmart and Myers and. And Target, they actually are all under retail discount, co- yeah. discount stores. But the the real department store, there, there's really only one real department store anymore, and that's Macy's, at least locally. I know there, there's, uh, what's that, Bon Mar still exists. Yeah. Um, and frankly, if I were going to go shop between the two just for quality of clothes, because their prices are not that different, even though people have this perception that Macy's is less costly than Von Mar, but Von Mar has better stuff, <laughs> typically. I, I've never been in one. I mean, there's one at the Green. That's, but the one, that's the only one I've ever been in, because it's the only other yeah. department store, but every time I've been in there, I've been impressed with what they have and their prices, you know, in relative terms. Uh, but that's fa- those are fancy clothes. I don't wear a lot of fancy clothes. <laughs> But, but you know, Kohl's rides this line, and they're they're like the last man standing. You know, there used to be 
Coles and Mervins and you know there was regionally there were all kinds of these kind of in between discount stores and department stores. Well, Target tries to be that, but I don't know that they really qualify. Well, Target's still a a discount store. When you go into a Coles, it, it truly is still set up by department. True. But unlike a department store where they would like rotate their stock like four times a year, three or four times a year, uh, Kohl's, their model is the, the discount chain store, which is to constantly be rotating your stock. You know, that's why prior to Christmas you can start buying bikinis at Kohl's. <laughs> you know, and when it gets to be May, you can see the winter coats come in for, for the next winter. You know, that kind of thing. Because they're, they're constantly turning their stock over. And that's, that's the funny thing is we, even though there is a distinction about having departments, because even discount stores have departments, but they're not the same technically as the way a department store has them. But it's really the difference between them is how often do they turn over their, their uh, merchandise you know, for whether it's seasonal or is it constant, like, you know, it used to be a discount store turned their merchandise over. If a department store turns its merchandise over three or four times a year, that a discount store will turn its merchandise over, you know, six to eight times a year. But now, you know, discount stores turn their merchandise over constantly. If you if you've ever been into a Walmart, and you go from one week to the next. And they sell out of something that you noticed the previous week. They don't get another shipment to replace that. It's something new every time, you know. Um, so it, it, it's become very hit or miss. And part of the reason they do that is because they're trying to get people to make more impulse buys. So if it's new and instant gratification, you'll make that impulse buy. The, you know, so it's kind of, so going back to to the whole reason we talked about, because we've kind of drifted a little bit, <laughs> which is not uncommon for us, but, you know, the closing of retail in the downtown area. So the city of Dayton is a good example. They're going through, a, and, and, and parts of Cincinnati are this way too, like um, Rookwood and, and uh, Coleraine, those areas, you know, they're going through massive area, uh, or massive gentrification. People are wanting to move back into the city because of jobs or whatever. Downtown Dayton, it, I, I, I don't get the appeal. Uh, but they've built some really nice stuff there. They like have. You know, you're right there by the Dragons uh, Stadium and, uh, and stuff. But there's no shopping downtown like there used to be. I think there's like, it, it's bigger than what I would call a bodega, but it's not a grocery store. It's still down on 3rd Street. But that's like the only local place you, you'd have to go way out on Third Street to, you know, close to Wright Pack to get to shopping, or you'd have to go down Forty Eight to like Kettering to get to, you know, any real shopping. Yeah, I have a feeling a lot of those people in those high-end condos and apartments down there, because I mean, some of those buildings are beautiful, and you know, and and there is there's gentrification going on in the businesses down there, but they're not grocery stores. They're not the things you need to live. Well, I, I think that you'll find that that's but those people gonna are gonna be a necessity. Delivery. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, and they are, but I think for those, those instant gratification things, that's gonna, business will fill that vacuum. Yes. Is what I'm saying. But I, I, like I said, I think that's happening. You know, there's lots of new restaurants and bars, um, 
hairstylist that I've seen go in down there, right, usually on Third Street, that one section across from the old music building, uh, you know, the music publisher. Yeah. That is, I mean, what they've done there is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and stuff. But, you know, if you look at the retail businesses there, it's like home decor and, and, uh, you know, nail and, and hair salons and massages and, uh, lots of new restaurants and stuff like that. Um, but like I said, there's, there's not a whole lot of, there's not like bookstores and there's not like grocery stores and, you know, but again, that retail landscape has changed. So, you know, delivery is probably what most of them are doing. And I bet you a lot of them are doing, they have like set delivery, you know, every Monday deliver me milk and bread, you know, and a two or three other items. And so that shows up and, you know, if, if they're out working, because unfortunately Dayton's kind of the opposite. If you live in downtown Dayton, you're probably not working in downtown Dayton. <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah. I mean, unless, a lot you work, of that, unless you work for Fifth Third Bank or um, work for the federal courthouse, I don't yeah. know that you're you're really working down or living downtown. Well, unless you you work for one of the restaurants. Yeah, but if you work for one of the restaurants, you probably can't you afford, can't afford to live down there. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's the same thing. If you cross the river where the Dayton Art Institute is, you know that area originally was was the old money. Mm-hmm. You know, before Oakwood, before Oakwood, before became Oakwood, Oakwood, yeah, and uh, you know that's where the the Virginia Ketterings and all these people, you know, had massive houses, and then you know we had the the they moved out, and and those areas became they, that area. Luckily, around the Art Institute, didn't become super run down, but everything is in need of repair down there this point and so they're going through gentrification because people are buying these massive houses for cheap yeah and you know and fixing them and and everything and but even on that side of the river there's there's a little more retail but not you still don't see the grocery stores and because not too much farther past that's where the food desert starts and there are no grocery stores yeah it's pretty sad when Dollar General comes in and, and in many areas that is the only that grocery, is the yeah. only grocery that's available. Well, in uh, down on the east side, that Dollar General burned and it was a food desert for a while down there. Now I think yeah. they've, they've had a couple come in there since, but yeah. Well, it, I mean, even if you drove out there. It, I know you guys were, were kind of talking about local things, but well, no, I think I, I but, think but everything that's local is is local everywhere. Yeah. I mean, these these aren't problems that no, 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 no. that aren't but everywhere. What's kind of funny about that is that um, the the difference between the east side and the west side, though, is that you can go in almost any direction: northeast, east, southeast, um, on the east side of Dayton, and not too too far out. I mean, it might still be four or five miles. You're going to find the general retail establishment, you know, that you need to live. When you went west, you would hit the Indiana border before you would find something. (laughs) So you're not wrong. So my my sister lives out in in Eaton, uh, in Preble County, on the Indiana border. 
and more often than not, she has to go to Indiana to shop. Yeah, well, you have Richmond, Indiana is right there, yeah. and they have their own mall. They have you know all the retail uh, establishments that you would expect. But it, and the reason I I know that is because in the horse industry, that's Trouble County, and we've spent a lot of time out there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you there's no fast food out there. There's like a McDonald's and... <laughs> and they do have a Casano's out there. Well, I can't eat Casano's, so there's well, no fast yeah. food. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, eating itself, I think, is probably it's the, a one, decent the one, the one little oasis yes, out it is. there. It is. But it doesn't have... It doesn't have what a county seat should have. closer to civilization has. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, but, you know, you even go into other counties... Um, and you know we used to joke being from Kentucky that you know you're in civilization because your town had a Walmart and I joke about that and then you know we get farther south and we go you know that and this is a true indicator of the severity of like a hurricane or a big storm Uh, you get out in the south and southeast and if you know if the Waffle Houses are still operating yeah. Then it couldn't have been too bad. They right. literally that is a, a yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And and so, you know, it was kind of the same concept. You know, if your town had a Walmart, then at least you there was a retail establishment that, you know, you could get all the necessities, food, clothing, you know. Uh, but there are places here in Southwest Ohio where like Eaton, where there is not a Walmart. I mean, it's not like a Walmart's too far away, uh, but you know, it's not in your local community, so it becomes a it, it is a a chore to go do those those you know that the stuff that you need yeah to stay alive. And, and Eaton is a good example of that. And it, the funny thing is, is Eaton is a it's actually a beautiful little town. It really is. It's quite quaint and and everything, but they don't have I, they do have a small grocery store. I think there's still an IGA down there. I'm pretty sure you're right. It's on it's on the south side as you go to Farmersville. Yeah, but you know, that's it, it's still you know that that might get your your bread and milk covered, but it's not going to cover the other necessities you need. Typically. Well, well, you're not going to find jam grapes. Yeah, you're not going to find jam grapes. <laughs> <laughs> First world problem. <laughs> <laughs> but so, if you're living out there you probably well i don't know I, the bulk of those people wouldn't be looking for that anyway and if no. there was a market for it it would be there it would yeah, be there exactly well it, it, it isn't as so bad as a food desert there as like the west side of dayton till you get there i mean well yeah but that's that's Part of why I think the west side of Dayton is a food desert is, is that on the east side, when you get out of it, you're in the suburbs. Correct. On the west side, there's when you're out of it, you're, you're in rural. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's just, there's no, there's very little development out there. Yeah, unless it's right off of I-70, you're right. There's very, you, I mean, it, you're, you don't drive through, you get past uh, the Veterans Hospital. Yeah. And 35 west, and it's like and, and all of a sudden it goes from uh, 
you know, like two and three story buildings to farms, and that's it. You know. And I am always curious about this because I, I, even though I live on a farm, I'm lucky enough to live in an area where we. You're still close enough to civilization. We're, we're close to civilization. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know how those guys live out we're, there. Yeah, we're like three miles away from a yeah. Crowbridge, a new Crowbridge. Yeah, a brand yeah. spanking new Crowbridge, yeah. yeah. And, and we're four miles away from a Walmart. Yeah. So that that's a little different than when you're like out there. And, and you know, my family grew up in Kentucky. They lived out in the country where, you know, it was a you, – you couldn't walk to town. Yeah. You know, town was a 15-mile drive away. Uh, or – if you wanted to go to Lexington, it was a 20 to 30 mile drive away, you know, and that's where you went and shopped and things like that. So, uh, but Kentucky's a little different too, because they still have country stores that sit out there and, you know, you can get your milk and bread and beer and. What else do you need? Chips. They have chips. Too. Fair enough. <laughs> that's the four food groups right there. Yeah, exactly. And bologna. Uh, well, yeah. You gotta have some protein in there. Yeah. But, but that being said, you know, it, it's a different way of life, and you, you plan accordingly. But you also raise a lot of your own food uh, because you have the ability, you have the space and the ability to do well, that. Well, my sister, even though she lives in the city of Eaton, raises chickens. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, that's... Well, we have chickens, too. Well, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you raise chickens, and you have a garden, and, you know, you, you eat a lot of that. Because... Most people don't realize, but a quarter acre garden will feed a family of, if, if you take care of it, yeah, will feed a family of probably 10, you know, for all summer long. And then you'll have so much food left over that you're going to can it, you know, and, and store it for the winter. Yeah. You know, and probably make it till spring. So, well, I think we've kind of talked about this a lot. Let us know your thoughts. Send us some feedback to gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. And we'll see you on the digital flip side. You've been listening to Gizmo Sapiens, a technology and entertainment podcast. You can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side.